Tune in to The Fintech Files for exclusive interviews with fintech executives and thought leaders. We will talk about how the industry will overcome the crisis that has marked the start of the decade, how it can be part of the solution, and how the financial world will evolve in the next decade. This is your host, George Alaferis from Arama. On this episode of the Fintech Files, I'm talking to Daniel Lanyon, editor-in-chief of Alfi, the leading trade publication for the alternative finance and fintech community. We're going to talk first about the state of fintech, how robust is the industry, and what are the big battles happening in the field right now. Then we'll discuss about what Alfi did to adapt and come back stronger from the crisis, and they have some big news. Daniel, welcome to the show. Great to be here, George. As it's early June, but uh, we're still officially in lockdown, may I start by asking you, how, how is that working for you? How did that affect you, you know, personally and also professionally? So I suppose, um, you know, I've been lucky in, in many ways and, and have had a very, um, you know, relatively easy period, I think, compared to lots of people. Um, I haven't been, you know, personally affected by, by anything, um, you know, sort of tragic. Um, but of course, you know, it's, it's definitely been a huge change. And, you know, were it not for the most amazing weather ever, I think it would have, would have been a lot harder. But it's been, you know, it's been nice in some ways. Um, and, you know, I think there's been some, some positive things for Altfi as a business. Um, there's the sort of demand for information has, has gone up. Um, more people seem interested in what is happening um, you know, in our core coverage of, of fintech. So there's been lots to keep busy with. Um, I, I guess I've also got around to doing um, lots of tiny jobs around the house, which is very satisfying. And so that's quite nice. And, you know, I've, I've actually really enjoyed um, spending more time at home cooking and spending time with my wife, um, which has been a lovely thing. But, you know, I think there's nobody who hasn't who hasn't been touched by some sort of stress, um, you know, whether that's just being a bit cooped up or being a bit uncertain or having to change plans. Yeah, sure, sure. I do get uh, um, a lot of that and that people, well, most of the people I talk to ultimately have fared very well, but um, obviously that's because we don't talk to people who really challenge. Um, so may I ask uh, about your current role? You used to be a journalist for uh, non-fintech media and so how did you now i think fairly recently uh, got into fintech um re well not that recently about about four years ago so um i yeah i i started out um you know being a journalist about 10 years ago um i started out reporting in istanbul in turkey on economics and business which is my sort of academic background um and i um, I suppose I, I very much pursued um, a lot of young journalists' sort of dreams of working for some of the big titles, and 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 I did and I did some work for for some of the, I guess, more famous um, names from newspapers like Times, um, and uh, um, I guess I I pivoted more into the sort of trade business B two B area of journalism um, initially for a magazine called The Grocer, which is actually the oldest. Um, trade title in the UK, pro probably the world as well, uh, which covers the food industry. Um, and that was probably where I first started covering, I guess, what I, I, I later came to know as disruption. I started to co cover 
um, you know, what are called the discounters, the supermarkets like Aldi and Lidl, who are growing very rapidly, offering a different proposition to the, the sort of um, the well-known large names um, in the UK. And um, yeah, I, I, I guess I had an opportunity to join um, a startup, which is something I'd always wanted to do eventually. Um, I wanted to grow something and, and you know, be involved in, in something um, you know, from its early days. And I met a, a guy called David Stevenson, who was um, the founder of AltFi. Um, so that was back in 2014 um, and sorry, 2016. And um, yeah, I, you know, we, we started from, you know, fairly uh, humble offices and we, um, I think we had a great area and a great sort of um, overarching idea, which was covering the, the sort of change in, in financial services. Um, and um, it's now grown to be, um, you know, a, a pretty well-read publication. We, we've had about 500% um, growth in about two years in our audience. And, um, you know, that's, that's been really encouraging to see. Um, I, I guess, you know, we've been also quite lucky that there has been a strong growth of interest um, in this area, um, which, you know, I think at times feels a bit nebulous. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a very, very fascinating um, business story of the last, last five or 10 years. Yeah, sure, sure. And, you know, the progress of Alpi is, of course, due to your excellent coverage, but um, the interest in fintech or the fact that fintech is now such a commonly used word um, I guess, from my perspective, the the evolution in my mind from what you were mentioning, 2016, 14, uh, is huge, right? I, I probably, I don't know when I started using the term, but I feel it's fairly recent. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about uh, what Alpi does and maybe the services it offers on a corporate level? Yeah, so... Uh... So, you know, we are fundamentally a, um, a trade magazine for, for this area, this industry that we call fintech, which, you know, it is a bit of a nebulous term, you know, as I was saying. Um, you know, I, I think I even asked one of the, the largest investors in fintech, you know, whether they were very bullish on fintech and they, and they actually said, you know, well, I don't really even know what fintech means. <laughs> um, and I think that's a really, a really um, sort of important point um, for us as a publication, because obviously, Every publication needs a um, a perimeter of you know what do you cover and what don't you cover, you know what what is a story that's of interest to your readers and what isn't, and um, I think you know that has changed over time. So um, initially, when I joined Altfi, um, the sort of the core coverage really was 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 alternative finance, which um, really was all about disruption to the lending world. So you know, banks not lending post uh, the financial crisis, or I should say the last financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, huge, huge disruption from players such as Zopa, Funding Circle and Rate Center in the UK, uh, providing finance to companies um, who otherwise, you know, were, were not getting what they needed, um, or individuals as well, from, from traditional banks. And, you know, that was where the term um, Altfi came from alternative finance in support manto. And I guess it was around 2016 that, um, that you know, we started covering and uh, I say we say my, my former colleague, uh, uh, Ryan Weeks, um, uh, names such as Monzo and Revolut, 
um, those guys started to become ex extremely interesting, partly because they were crowdfunding their, um, their equity capital. So they were using the likes of Crowdcube um, to, to raise money. Um, and, you know, that, that space just seemed very, very interesting. Not least, you know, the first time um, I downloaded these apps and, and was, you know, blown away really how, how intuitive they were and how, um, how on your side they were, how simple they were, how quickly you could do things. And then I guess as they started to develop into banks and, and get banking licenses, um, you know, how so quickly all your friends knew about them and then, you know, all their friends and then, you know, um, older people you knew and, and people not just in London tech and finance um, circles. So I think that was, that was really um, a sort of um, a long way of saying that we as a publication have now um, come to see that, you know, there's a very, very long secular story of change in financial services and it's not just about technology i think it's also about attitudes it's about um you know what people who work in banks or work in financial services look like um you know what they what they wear it's you know their working patterns what the core skills are that are in demand um i saw a statistic the other day that that um sort of uh, technology expertise focused roles um, have increased in demand by 50% in three years in the UK, um, but, you know, of um, listed uh, job adverts. And, you know, I think there's a, yeah, there's this sort of very long-term story going on and we're seeing sort of different iterations and different, um, you know, different technologies, different movements, different regulation affecting that. Um, and I guess what we as Altfo see as our, our longer term mission is to try and keep ahead of those new changes because, um, yeah, we sort of feel they're all part of, of the same uh, same long-term trend, you know, sort of mega trend. Sure, sure. So that brings me to the, my next question and the outlook now in 2020 after so much happened, right? And probably things have accelerated over the last uh, well, few months with the crisis. Um, And of course, you've got a unique viewpoint on the industry, being an editor at IL5. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned the Monzo Revolution, the first experience back in 2016, um, and now we've seen the news that they're they're restructuring. I don't know if that's the right term, um, and perhaps this this well, th there's a new wave or a, a new phase happening. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Um, you know what what's your perspective into those uh, players and the old players coming into fintech by recruiting like you said well so i think fintech um in the last year so let's just say in 2019 um you know really really blossomed from a um something that that you know did seem a bit more of an insider's uh, world um to being something that was you know becoming much more mainstream um, enormous amounts of venture capital were, were flooding into startups. Um, you know, the, the growth of um, staff numbers at some of the largest firms was, was pretty stellar. Um, I can't give you exactly accurate data, but um, just from my own sort of personal experience, you know, I, I'd see companies um, expanding, you know, moving offices, you know, doubling in size in terms of how many people they employed. Mm. 
in, in a matter of months rather than years, which is a really extraordinary thing. Um, and I guess, you know, there was always the expectation that, um, you know, trends don't last forever. There's always something that, that, that shifts. Um, and it's always hard to put your finger on what it is. But um, I, I think we did see a bit of a, a bit of a change towards the end of 2019. Um, and how I, how I explained it at the time was you sort of, you sort of had four different players now very much um, sort of squaring up to each other, almost like four boxers in a ring, if you, if you can sort of imagine that. And, um, you know, one of them was very much the disruptors, the startups, Monzo, Revolut, et cetera, in the UK and, and obviously around the world, um, lots of other interesting names, Shine, N26, et cetera. Then you also had um, the, the sort of, um, uh, I guess what I call the super apps, so um, WeChat Pay and, and Alipay, mm -hmm. you know, both obviously from from Asia, um, and you know, increasingly looking at um, doing things around the world, you know, very much in, in Europe, although quite tentatively. Um, and I guess then you had the um, the sort of uh, legacy banks who were, um, you know, perhaps uh, already undergoing significant amounts of, of change. So, um, you know, maybe um, the sort of the, let's just say the top um, five banks in the UK and obviously around the world, you know, many, many more who were already undergoing a sort of a digitization process, perhaps not as quickly as they should be, but nonetheless, um, you know, doing so and still having enormous scale and, and sort of firepower. Um, and then in the other corner, you had big tech and, you know, we, we're all very familiar, you know, um, Amazon, Facebook, um, and um, those guys increasingly were, were launching things. So obviously, we had Libra from Facebook and we had Apple's um, partnership with Goldman Sachs to launch a sort of credit card. Um, so, yeah, so I think you almost had this sort of new parity where you had four very different players who all had... A viable argument to why they were, um, you know, why they could be the future, at least in part of, of what financial services looks like, and um, and yeah, and I think um, you know the net result of that was that um, you know the sort of the the startups, you know, sort of just began to change a bit, and they'd reached that scale where where they could seriously be taking on these huge. Um, firms and and yeah, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is. It, it was more a, yeah. a sort of conflict thing. So yeah, you you mentioned guess, boxing match. It feels as well a bit uh, yeah. as more like maybe W uh, WE tag team because they also partner with each other sometimes and compete with yeah, each other sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and um, invest. I guess you know where we see the funding for the startups. What we don't see is how much the legacy banks have invested in technology and things like that. But it looks like the really whoever wins, there's a, there's a technology takeover in finance. Uh, yeah, from what you seem to say, right? No one is saying, I don't know, we should have more branches and perhaps uh, <laughs> let go of the of the apps or something like that. I think from the legacy when well, the startups, obviously, but even the legacy players, I think everybody's much seems to be thinking about that at the moment. Absolutely. And I think, you know, technology is, is, is critical. And obviously the smartphone 
sort of overlays that, you know, um, I think about 82% of Americans own a smartphone. In the UK, it's more like 78%, but still, you know, these, these, are, these are staggering numbers. Um, and um, yeah, I, th I, think, I think that you're completely right that actually behind the scenes, you know, there's all sorts of alliances and investment and things like that. But um, yeah, I, th I think when you look back at the history of finance in the UK, um, which I, I did once um, in a very interesting presentation, um, not one I did myself, one that I watched. <laughs> and, um, you know, th there's always been attrition of banks. And um, normally these, it, it occurs during a crisis. So I think the last huge, huge, um, you know, if we're, if we're to discount the financial crisis, so the last time there was a huge sort of almost culling of, of banks was in 1929 or, or soon after when I think, you know, dozens and dozens of, of um, private banks in, in, um, in the UK, in the city, London, um, you know, just sort of uh, collapsed pretty much overnight. And I think there's no reason to suspect that this period might not be, um, you know, might not be too different. But mm. I also think, you know, you, um, you know what I, the the sort of the dynamics of of who might sort of ultimately win in the end are very complicated and and you know perhaps are as much to do with um you know funding um you know or talent whereas i think you know before it was it was a lot more um you know simple because you would just run out of money or or you know you you your, your all your debts would go bad whereas now it's a bit more of a complicated picture yeah yeah but it's really fascinating and mind-blowing to to consider this and to consider the magnitude of the events if you compare it to 1929 um and perhaps to watch from the sideline and maybe not being falling into it um you've recently had a very interesting series of events during the lockdown where you interviewed a lot of executives a lot of ceos um in in one-on-one -on -one conversation like we do now um I mean, th there's been a lot, so I don't know if you can find a common thread or some highlights through the series. What, let's say, what, what are the, th the top things you've learned from that? Yeah, very, very interesting question. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, we, you know, we're talking to lots of people generally, um, uh, sort of, you know, day to day as well. And I guess one of the, the commonest themes is, um, you know, may maybe perhaps an obvious one, um, but I think the anticipation is an acceleration of, um, some of these changes that we've been we've been talking about, um, you know, you, you obviously mentioned branches. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people who realise actually uh, they need you know they need to make if they weren't already they need to make digital banking part of their um, you know part of their sort of core um, uh, daily usage. And um, yeah, I think I think that's the expectation um, that there is. You know that that this will bring forward um, an acceleration of of digitization. Um, you know we're we're already quite advanced, I guess, in the UK here in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know there's still clearly tens of millions of people who maybe have been a bit nervous about um, you know having a having a digital bank, a digital only bank as their main account, um, and that's a hurdle I I feel for for the digital banks, but I would say that, um, yeah, I think as long as they can sort of hold on, then I think probably there'll be long-term 
beneficiaries. And, and that did seem to be, you know, that did seem to be the case, um, particularly amongst, you know, we, we had this, uh, this summit um, three weeks ago with, with 10 CEOs and, and that seemed to be the case. But yeah, I, you know, I think sort of funding is, is very, very key. And, you know, in this scenario, you know, your cash burn is just so critical. Um, mm. You know, even if you've got a great product and a great brand, um, your cash burn is everything. Um, but you know, we're we're seeing we are seeing deals happen and we're seeing fundraisers happen. Um, so you know, it does seem to be that investors are still willing to to pay up. Um, but you know, obviously, we don't know what those terms are. Sure, sure. And then, what do you see? What do you make of the news of? You mentioned Monzo Revolut. Not to pick on anyone, but some, um, some re, re, uh, how do you say reduction, restructuring in some firms. Is it simply is it to adjust to that? Perhaps like we need to burn less cash flow, we need to last longer, or is it? Um, oh, we we were picturing things too big. Uh, yeah, is it is it just a minor thing maybe? I mean, it's you know I think it's always very very sad to hear about redundancies at mm. any company. And um, that's, you know, that's, I guess, the, been the big news today. So um, um, I think the, the news um, was broke last night, actually, by TechCrunch um, that uh, Monzo um, was uh, making about 120 staff redundant. Um, there wasn't much detail um, as to who those people were, but, um, you know, without sort of being too specific, you know, there was quite a lot of, um, you know, what's the word? signals on Twitter today, um, you know, of, of Monzo um, staff who, who I guess were, were concerned about their jobs. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, there has, I think there has been some reports as well that there might be similar things at Revolut. I think um, Wired co covered that also today. Um, you know, we haven't confirmed that at Alt5, mm -hmm. so, I, so I don't know, um, sure, sure. You know how correct that is. But, um, you know, I guess it, it felt a little bit inevitable that, that there would be redundancies at some point in fintech just because, um, you know, the, the hiring was just on such an incredible scale um, last year. But that being said, you know, I think it's a very delicate game because, mm. um, you know, fundamentally, banks particularly, you know, other fintechs may be a bit different, but banks particularly, you know, with being very, very consumer-facing, do... Um, you know, do sort of trade on their on their sort of trust and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I'm not saying people would trust a bank less if they're making redundancies, but, um, mm. you know, who, who knows how that could be interpreted. So um, I think it's a very tough time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think also um, that there's every reason to believe that, um, that, you know, the fintech scene is actually quite robust and healthy. Um, you know, taken as a whole. Um, so hopefully those people can can find jobs elsewhere. Um, you know, like I say, I, I, I think it's very fair to say that um, in, in particularly in certain pockets, the fintech uh, industry is a, is a, you know, it's a long-term secular growth story. Um, so sort of recession or no recession or, or coronavirus or no coronavirus, I think that there'll be enormous amounts of demands for, for skills um, and of, you know, by extension people. Sure, sure. And uh, do you see any particular sector of fintech or areas or, or maybe firm where there are brighter, brighter spots? 
Um, well, I think uh, lending is obviously an area that is, you know, hit hard in, in any sort of um, crisis, potentially, because, and particularly the sort of alternative lenders that we cover because, you know, obviously defaults can go up, but also because they're, um, you know, most, not all, but um, are, you know, they're using funding lines from external um, people or institutions. Um, and obviously that's um, threatened, you know, by market sentiment, not always, and, and not necessarily in this case, but, but potentially. Now, coming out of the recession, and this was a, a point actually made by um, Giles Andrews at Zopa on a, on a webinar we did um, last week, um, but lending is a very, very, very powerful place to be um, in any sort of recovery, because obviously the demand for finance goes up hugely. And um, as I understand from, from um, Giles's wisdom, um, loans written in, in sort of the recovery phase um, of an economic cycle are um, actually very good loans. Mm. Um, so I, I think lending, you know, as a, as a very early area of fintech um, is very much due a, um, you know, some new interesting players. And I think that um, in the inevitable um, uh, recovery period, um, I don't know when that will be. I don't know if it will be this year, next or, or, or longer. Um, but I think, you know, there'll be some, some brilliant opportunities. I would say also that, um, you know, I'm very bullish on the, I guess, the open banking or open finance um, uh, sort of world, if you want to call it, you know, the sort of the, the APIs in finance is maybe another way to, to put it. And um, so the plaids of this world, I think there's huge amounts of long-term um, sort of benefits that that can bring to to governments, to individuals, to businesses. Um, and I think it will be very much subject to a sort of, you know, I guess, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with Moore's law, but, um, you know, the sort of exponential improvement and lowering in costs and capacity. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, we'll see quite a bit of that. And who knows, maybe even a sort of Netflix of banking could one day come along and, um, you know, allow you great amounts of choice and and uh, competitive marketplaces um, to find the best deals for, you know, the borrowing or, um, you know, savings or um, sort of various wealth management products. So I think that yeah. there's enormous amount that can happen in that, but it, it, I think it will be, you know, it'll be a slow and steady, it'll be a slow and steady um, effect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow! Yeah, not so many perspectives. It's it's really uh, you can look at it from all, all the direction. First, I really like your image of the four players, or maybe the four boxers, or maybe the four armies meeting in the middle, and then all those possibilities. I guess we could discuss yeah. it at length for a long time. But um, to conclude, let me go back to um, to Altfi, um, and maybe let's start by talking about your events with the CEOs recently. Uh, yes. It's an interesting experiment in terms of communicating, well, during the lockdown, but could also be implemented, you know, any time. Um, so how did that work out and what were the lessons from it? Are there things that you think might be used again in the future in terms of communication? Mm. So we, um, you know, we have had physical events since 2013. Um, we um, have a big event in London, but also big event in Australia um, and we we also have held events in in continental Europe in Amsterdam in Berlin in Toronto 
Um, so that's always been a really core part of our calendar. And obviously, um, you know, the, the destruction of, of coronavirus has, has, you know, stopped that. Um, but I'm actually very impressed with the digital format for events. I think, you know, clearly I'm, a, I'm an advocate for, for digital things, um, but I'm also a big advocate for, um, for the analog world. You know, I get a paper delivered every weekend and I, and I much prefer to, to read that than I do, um, you know, read um, an iPhone. But I, I do think that the digital events world have been hugely, hugely um, sort of ignored you know, and it's sort of hard to figure out why, really. But now it's, yeah, I think it's going to be something that stays even when, you know, inevitable um, return to um, physical events happens. Um, and I think one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's just so fantastically global. So, you know, we, we had somebody who, um, you know, had tuned in just because they wanted to ask Anne Bowden a question. Um, so Anne Bowden, CEO of um, Starling Bank. So um, that would never have been possible, uh, you know, before. I mean, I guess Amberden could have flown to Australia or this person <laughs> could have flown to London for one of our events. But when you think about how um, easily that was done um, and how efficiently and, and obviously, you know, without um, costly, um, at, you know, and polluting airline um, uh, sort of uh, expenditure, um, and at the same time as having someone in Australia, I think we had somebody um, who, well, we had several people tuning in from North America. And um, so I just, I think that's just such an uh, inspiring um, sort of revelation really that, that you know, it, and, it, and it seems so obvious to say, but it, it was fantastic. And, yeah. I was going to give you my, my feedback from the, from, from, the, from the other side of the screen. And I thought it was really great. I thought somehow that you know, when you're in a big event and there's people on the stage, maybe it's the same content, maybe it's the same questions, but I felt that also there's less, somehow less distance between, I think it was somehow a more uh, intimate uh, yeah. conversation. Um, so yeah, it's something definitely very, very interesting and hopefully, uh, you know, for, for your industry, a good, well, I don't know, alternative or, or additional mm -hmm. offering, right? In terms of the event. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, but I would say that, um, you know, the, I think it's, it's always better to think about um, sort of complementary relationships between analog and, and digital. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously some things are digitized and we'll never go back to being analog. Um, but I think 